Episode 262, The Rant. Kenny Arike, philosopher, writer, omnipresent flag football junkie. Truth be told, we already sat down with Kenny before coronavirus. Amid, it was re-recorded at Kaniac Park in Hicksville, New York, to discuss what he's been up to during the pandemic, his love of football, how he sublimated it to flag football, and what the future holds with his mind and his game. All that and more, my conversation with Kenny, now. The Rant has been brought to you by Geo Studios, now open. They are located one block south of Westbury Train Station in the heart of Long Island, New York. Looking to bring your art or event to life? Trying to record a podcast? Enjoy six rooms of studio space to create audio and visual content. It also includes an 800-square-foot cyclorama wall studio, a state-of-the-art recording studio, three breakout rooms for four to six people each, which include a green room and lounges, a quality surround sound with six speakers and studio lighting, and most importantly, two on-site restrooms. You know I need my restrooms. Book your space today. For more information, find us at geoevents.com. The Rant has been brought to you by The Irrefutable Magazine. Co-editor in design Kevin Sparrick and co-editor at large Ralph Fernolis decided to combine both of their talents in writing and illustrations to bring to you a new online experience from an official's perspective. They both ref, but it's deeper than officiating. They create art for all time. Do you think your brand would be a good fit for The Irrefutable Magazine audience? Want to advertise with us? Visit us at theirrefutable.com sponsors for more information. We are the irrefutable. Welcome to a special edition of The Rant. I'm your host, Ralph the Ref. I am live at Caniac Park, parking lot, with uh, my man. We ended up doing this before, but... The world completely changed from the last time we did it, so I felt like it was fitting to just get him back on the show. Flag football extraordinaire playing on, I don't know how many teams you're playing on, 10? He put two. two I, teams. I think it's 10 because he's everywhere. <laughs> also, um, the author of the blog, JustTapTheGlass.com, Mr. Kenny Arike. What's up, man? Appreciate that, Ralph. I'm well. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm happy to see you. I know that we met up, we did a podcast, and to me it already sounded dated from all of the spikes, all of the shutdowns we didn't have. A spring season like we normally do with flag football, and that's normally when everyone's gearing up, and I know that's a special time of year for you because you love flag football. True. I always see you, and, you know, I was very sad of just not being able to do the things that we love to do, i.e. me officiating you playing flag football. But then, you know, I, I thought it was going to be shut down for a while, and then I just told you off air of how everyone just kind of mentally got past it, and then we ended up playing a flag football season, even though I didn't ref a lot, and I saw you on the field, and it was like, look at this guy. We were both kind of right, right? But nonetheless, welcome to the show, man. Appreciate that, Ralph. So, you know, with the coronavirus, everything happening, I know you have a lot of strong opinions, but I don't want to get too political on it, but what I really wanted to ask you is, since I last saw you in February, and of course I've seen you since, just flag football, uh, me refing and you playing lightly, I don't think, did I, I ref you one time, right, this summer? Yeah, one of the games they had, uh, what's that, Fields? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But um, what I wanted to ask you is during the coronavirus, how have you been holding up during this whole time? How's your family doing? And when was the moment that you took it like, I don't know if you took it serious. Well, you always take everything serious, but just more so like, 
it was going to affect your everyday life. Like you knew that the gyms were going to close so you can't do your thing. You knew that schools were going to close and that you knew that you weren't going to play flag football on a weekly basis for the foreseeable future. Family and friends have all been good mostly. One of my relatives had it, but it was a really short duration. There were other people around me that passed away from complications from it. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, I've been well. Most things were shut down, so you got the whole new word in lexicon, Zoom. And I've had, I don't want to say thousands, hundreds of hours on, on Zoom mm -hmm. over the last few months because everything shut down. Me too. Yeah, the silver lining is that a lot of things I would have had to go to in person, I could do them online or virtually, which is a lot more convenient than having to go there in person. So I like that. I mostly did a lot of outdoor workouts, a lot of running. I like to do a lot of sprinting. It's just useful. So, And seeing other people on the track who were doing their thing, that was nice. I usually take a break like every couple months or so from lifting, so I was doing a lot of plyometrics workout-wise. Uh, everything else has been good mostly, though. It gives um, the coronavirus shutdown thing gave people a lot of time to think. Hopefully they put that to use and they didn't spend all that time just listening to the news and mm. <laughs> getting out of their minds. So that yeah, was good. I just remember, I think it was like April, so it was probably a month into the shutdown. You're like, yeah, we'll be on the field. April 15th, I was like, what are you talking about? Like, maybe I'm seeing something different than what you are. And I just remember those wild predictions of like, yeah, we'll go. And then you realize, and fortunately for us, the summer, I'd say mid-July, we got to the point where we had the virus so under control. And I'm talking about the state of New York where we were able to have a semblance of flag football. How different was it when you got back on the field in comparison to from it? And, you know, just having the rust of not playing for that long. Well, in my defense, fair, fair enough. When I made that prediction, it was like three days before Trump changed what he was saying. And mm. he said that, you know, okay, now we're going to shut down. Before he does that, that quite often, like, too. Yeah, he does that. Yeah. So I would say there wasn't too much rust because I, like, I do different drills during the week where I'm still practicing. I mean, at the first time, I was like, all right, I have to get used to, like, catching a ball and moving at regular football-related speed with people in the vicinity, but it wasn't too bad because just, there's just so much repetitive muscle memory that's in place that so it's like it's not a huge adjustment. And I always like to stay in shape for the most part, so it's not like I'm going to get tired on the field. Right. No big worries with mm. that. How about just, like, everything being different, like people wearing masks during the oh, game? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, that was odd. I, I myself, I couldn't wear a mask during the game because I need to, like, breathe a lot. I can get why people... We're very cautious on that point. I think more, I wouldn't even say it was jarring, but off the field, just seeing how people were wearing masks, that really brought that home. And a lot of the fear with like people you might normally see is like, oh, no, stay away from me. Mm -hmm. I don't want to sick. Mm -hmm. That was always an interesting dynamic too. Now, in terms of you writing, did you tap into your artistic side? Did you get into more reading, more writing in this time? I wrote, actually, funny enough, an article on the coronavirus but not the disease itself but on some of the bigger questions mm -hmm. like I, I went into a thought experiment about can you ever be too careful with issues like this and whether or not you can use times of uncertainty to springboard and other things mm -hmm. I did that I have some other stuff that I write that I, I have like I collect and keep it for like looking in the future that I don't actually publish so I've done some of that a lot of reading I think I think I read most part year rounds so that didn't really affect it mm -hmm. I felt like I was just reading coronavirus ad nauseum and I try to stay away from it now but I, it's just so hard because it's just 
such a daily part of our lives now. You know, everything is affected. Even if you go, you can't sit down at a restaurant. And even if you wanted to, like, it's just different. Every, that is one saying? of the more interesting discussions about how they're handling that in the boroughs. I know that there is a lot of the people in the entertainment and restaurant industry that are still angry about how slow the rollout has been. And I think some of them have valid points mm-hmm. about the dangers of, yeah, you want to be safe, but there's kind of the silent, unheard victims economically of mm-hmm. when are we being too careful with this? Like, you can have an edict that says that people who are in the most vulnerable population of New York should stay home and or use extra precautions, but there's really not much reason why people can't be going in the restaurants. Even if you you lower the amount of people allowed inside, there's no reason restaurants should be going under right now. Yeah, I, I mean, listen, I, I think it's a very tough situation economically and then also health-wise. I think it's just always going to be a push-pull situation because I get it on both sides, right? Like, you don't want to lose your life eating at a restaurant, and at the same time, (laughs) you don't want to lose your restaurant by nobody having the ability to have anybody. So to me, it's like, it's a catch-22. Hopefully everyone continues to stay safe, and hopefully we can get this eradicated as soon as possible. One question I wanted to ask you about the coronavirus, what do you think you learned about yourself during this whole time of uncertainty? I don't know, because I don't think the corona thing really had any large shifts in my mind because I'm always prone to introspection at any given time. Mm. So I don't know if it had any of that. I think it might be more of how viable remote living slash working is. And now that I would say on a macro level that many more people are used to having virtual interactions, Mm -hmm. like that's something that I guess in terms of my own life, I can make that much more palatable with any sort of business I work with or people that are hiring me for anything that, hey, I'm going to do this remotely and I still do good work. It doesn't matter. I don't have to be there to do it. I can do work for someone in California while being in New York, etc. And yeah, I don't know if it's any other major shifts. I was like, I didn't really affect how I worked out too much. So I can't think of anything else. I'm trying to think of any other facet of life, what it did. It was good for, I'd say, the virtual thing. That's the biggest thing. Mm. Especially people who don't like to be in large groups. You can meet up in large groups without actually being in a large group. You can control the atmosphere because you're doing it virtually with Zoom or anything else. That was something that was useful. Yeah. I still think it's useful, and it definitely will be a dynamic shift moving forward when the coronavirus doesn't exist. But the other thing that has been looming around this whole duration of time, especially since... The last time we spoke was all of the racial injustices that happened, like oh, George boy. Floyd, Matt Aubrey, <laughs> Breonna Taylor, <laughs> Jacob Blake. Yeah. This goes on and on. And of course, it's been happening before we even had cell phones and camera phones and all of these things. It's just now it's recorded just really lightly. What do you think about all of this racial injustice and uh, all of these peaceful protests and rallies that have been happening during this, during this whole duration? I think the idea of peaceful protests is useful. I think the problem with a lot of the protests now is they're picking victims who aren't, it's a good way to describe it, who aren't coming in with clean hands. You've got a lot of people who, like, there's, there's kind of a lack of accountability on certain fronts where, you know, yes, there were, there was some police misconduct here, but are we going to look in the mirror about, you know, what role you played in either furthering this or putting yourself in a position to be victimized? And it's hard to get a lot of people in middle America or on the sidelines in place. And they're like, they see these 
major unspoken elephants sitting in the room that no one's talking about and people don't want to bring that into discussion but then you want to kind of point fingers at this guy point fingers at that guy and you want to say things like you know defund the police where i think i think there's a there's a vocal minority that have called for defunding the police but most reasonable people understand how that's crazy mm -hmm. you can have police reform without eradicating the single biggest deterrent to crime especially in the worst communities those are the people who, who should least want to see the police go down i'd say that especially in this election cycle if they want to see or let's call them social justice warriors the social justice warrior continued if they want to see more people join their ranks they've got to be both rational and show people why they need to join you don't you can't guilt people into accepting your cause you have to show them well what's in it for me why are you aggrieved and what are we going to do to make things better besides just yelling and shouting and kneeling mm. and painting something in the end zone in an NFL game as though that does anything. So. Interesting. Yeah. And, I, and I, I do agree with you. You know, I just hope that in, in terms of just humanity, I just hope that we could just come from a place of like, this is right, this is wrong, there's good cops, there's bad, there's bad cops, there's good black people, there's good, you know what I mean? It's like, it's all crazy. But um, this is referee rant and I know you have such a deep passion of flag football, and I wanted to tap in into how you got that way. So, having said that, where did you grow up? What did you play growing up? What did you play in middle school, high school, and in college? Grew up, I was born in Queens, spent the first few years in Rhode Island, and I grew up in different parts of Long Island. Uniondale, some in Freeport, went to school in upstate New York for a few years. And how I got into... I want to say football was my sixth grade teacher, Mr. Napadano, wherever he is, shout out to him. He used to have a morning program. I think it was once a week where he'd play a different sport for mm -hmm. like all the sixth grade boys. And at some point we got into football. I was like, oh, and I never really wanted to get into football because you'd see people on TV getting hurt. It's like, who wants to play this? Like, right. why not just play basketball or baseball? And then we played some football and I was like, oh, this is really fun. That's how I started playing it. And it's just evolved over the years. I played some, I played one year in high school. I started learning. And then I played something called sprit football in college. Uh, shout out to Cornell University there. And and then after I graduated, I was like, I, I remember seeing like some people playing football on public access TV. TV. I was like, what is this? And I looked into like different leagues that are in Long Island. I was like, oh. That's how I found Long Island flag football. And I would do different pickup games, not just in that league, but with people I met in. Uh, it's people that went to Stony Brook to play some parks in Queens. And, yeah, Long Island flag football. I just got into that. Now, it's not to say I don't think that people that I officiate in flag football take it serious, but you take it, like, to the nth degree serious. I mean, <laughs> I remember one time you had this 1909 NFL helmet because... You had a head injury, and you were trying to figure out a viable way that you could still play without getting hurt. And, I mean, you'll go to the ends of the earth to play flag football. And I deeply respect that. I deeply respect anybody that's into some. So, you know, I always find it really funny when we got, like, a 9 o'clock game, and you got these young kids that just started. It might be their second season. And you got this other team that is, you know, a vets in the game. They've been doing it for 30-plus seasons. And, you know, you'll, you'll hear the kids. They'll go, they're so much more athletic. They're faster, they're bigger, and then they get their kicked by the team that's been playing all this time. And they go, bro, I don't know why you're taking it so serious. And I'm thinking to them, you're here at 9 a.m. You came here to win. And then all of a sudden, everything changed, 
because you get your kick. It's like it, it always confused me when somebody when a team like that would say something. I felt like they didn't have accountability for themselves, and yep. it's like, what made you take flag football so serious? I don't know if that it's taking flag football so serious. I think it's just my general nature of being hyper competitive. Mm-hmm. Like I when I play something, whether that's Monopoly or basketball, roller hockey, it, like I'm trying to win, and it. It irks me when we lose, right. especially when there's things you can do to prepare. Like Monday through Saturday, there's always stuff you can do to prepare on your own. Like no one, no one forces you to do, but you can work out. You can decide, hey, I'm going to visualize how I'm going to do on Sunday. You can show up. Well, half of it is just showing up on time. Some people don't do that. I, I do that sometimes. But that's because I'm playing <laughs> multiple games. <laughs> I think the justification of like, oh, you're taking this too serious. I think it's an easy thing for people to go to because they, they're losing. Right. And just in general, just my competitive nature. Although, like, on the field, I'm actually pretty jovial. I'm actually, like, I'm never really scowling anyone. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. And also, yeah. too, I have a competitive nature. I try to be and aspire to be the best referee that I can be. Even though flight football to me is not my top sport, right? Because to me, there's not really as much upward mobility. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like, okay, you just do these games on Sunday. There's not like a hierarchy of getting getting further in, in, in Long Island Flag Football League. But at the same time, I have competitive spirit that I want to be the best that I can be. And I want to have a, do, do a good job. Yeah, and you do a really good job. That's why we, we've seen you in different venues. I remember when uh, we gave a shout-out to Eric. Eric had you come officiate one of our games this summer before. Shh, the- shh, shh. <laughs> no, go ahead. All right. Before, before they started running the league. Yeah, uh-huh. I mean, that's just a function of how much regard he has for you as an officiator so yeah respect that now in terms of officiating do you think it's something that you would ever take up yourself since you have such a interesting relationship with referees unlikely (laughs) although i can't say i can't say no because i don't know what the future holds it's like i would much rather play than officiate i guess depends what we're if it was like Unlikely, yeah, I would say if it's a sporting event, unlikely. If it's something that's like non-physical, maybe I would I'd moderate because I've moderated in some forms for things that weren't sports. What about like, refereeing basketball? I feel like you'd be good at it. Only because I know you have a very deep mind and you like to analyze things. And I you're appreciate that. I really think that basketball is like the perfect marriage of like still having physical capabilities, longevity in the game when you... Because I also think you're you're kind of at a pivotal age where it's like, you can take it serious, but you're going to have to do triple the work to maintain what it is for a 20-year-old. And also, at the same time, like, you could be a ref until you're 60 and still be physically fit and have That's that true. old mental acuity. I think basketball serves that way where you can make 300 critical critical calls, whether that be decisions or, or non It's not like flag football. That's what I'm saying. That's true. I've never tried to referee basketball. Uh-huh. I guess, again, I have a friend that actually is pretty well-regarded basketball official. What's this man's name? His name is Jim Paul. Okay. Look him up. Shout out to Mr. Paul. Met him like seven or eight years ago, another civic function. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I wouldn't rule it out as I've never tried it. But I will say this. I, I've told people this and it's completely believable. I'll be out running people when I'm 50 years old. Okay. That's that. why you look at me like I was crazy. I'm a monster. So, right. <laughs> but I would not rule out of officiating because you never know what lines can take you where. So that I file that away in my memory bank as possible things to do at another point because you yeah. mentioned it. And I'm you also teaching. let me know because, you know, I, that's that's what I do. So I'm pretty certain that. And I'm just identifying that I think you would be really 
good at it. That's all. That's all I'm saying. I appreciate that very much. Yeah. You would probably have a lot of mentors um, that you probably want to shout out um, if you can. List who they are. What do you think they've done for you? And what kind of advice would you give somebody that is trying to aspire to take flag football serious? Because I know in the beginning it's very difficult because I think a lot of people have to unlearn like, okay, that's great that you were all Long Island in, in football. This is not, this is flag football. This is way, this is a different thing. And you realize that the victor goes to the people that are entrenched with the rules. They understand the nuances and can flex those things because it's not always like those black and white things that you think you know from football. Sometimes mm-hmm. you can't really lean on that experience. True. i give you a couple names. It's hard to list them all. I know. I just want I you to get in trouble you. when you miss them. Uh, yeah. First, I'll give you your name. His name is Clarence Arrington. I played him on one of my, my first teams. I think they were called Giuseppe Franco's Guarantee. Queens, 2008 fall. And Johnny, too. Johnny DiBraccio, give him a shout-out. Edgar Arvello, New York Magic. He's still playing now. He's pretty good. Nice guy. I'll give Eric, Eric Watson, a shout-out. He's definitely been a friend both on and off the field, so I, I like that. Does he get PowerPoint presentations at his house about flag football? Because I feel like that's... I don't know. I, I think he's someone you should definitely have on one of your podcasts. He's For a sure. very interesting guy. I also want to have Adam and Matt on it, too. They're really good, too. I think they're really... Yeah, you're going to give me all their phone numbers uh, (laughs) off here. (laughs) They're very good, I would say. I'm trying to think of who else. And the flag football, not too much people I've had mentors. I've had other people looked out for me off the field. There's definitely been a lot of people. Like, I'd have to list a bunch of officials, actually. And there's like six of them named Mike. I give them a lot lot of shout-outs. Yourself, you've always been useful both for joking and other, <laughs> <laughs> other uh light-hearted banter during the game so that's been nice yeah i'll say that like i can't list them all mm. and i hate that i'll give another shout out to one of my my current quarterbacks mike falabella he's he's another person that looks out for people on the team both he has a sharp mind on and off the field so what kind of advice would you give somebody that's trying to get into the flag football game and probably is wet behind the ears and you already can foresee that we're going to have some issues trying to unlearn what they think they know uh, and getting them entrenched in the game of flag football? I think most of what you know in tackle football translate. The only thing you got to get rid of is stiff arms. Even that, they have some semblance of that. But I think if you do the same kind of training that you're doing in tackle football, you'd be a factor. Some of it is just organizing and showing up without having some coach yelling at you and showing up. That's some of it. Some of it is determining the roles that who's going to play what on the team. That's like an issue, Mm. especially if you have larger teams where you've got, say, like, eight. I I play eight-man, and you have, like, 18, 19 people on a team. That can be tough for determining roles and, like, when when there's some struggle, who does what. That's an issue. I would say, what else? Getting a good quarterback is probably the best thing. You don't want to just hold out for someone who has a big arm and who can move, but ideally someone who can think the game. You can, as long as you have like a certain threshold of arm strength and mobility, you'd be fine. It's mm-hmm. the, the key thing is like decision making on the field helps to practice your route running. Certain certain things that. I mean, it helped if you played organized football. You'd pick up some of the stuff. Mm-hmm. A lot of things, like if you haven't played organized football at some point, you don't really understand some of the nuances. And you can see that even like in hyper-athletic 
people that show up is like, all right, he's a good athlete, but like there's certain things I know he doesn't know. So yeah. Take advantage of him there. Mm-hmm. I'd say some of those those are some of the biggest things. That and deciding if you're going to show up on a Saturday or Sunday to play with people that you're going to take it seriously enough where like people are going to do the things they need to be doing. Yeah. So. There's been a couple people that have been on your team over the years where I was like, oh, this person's highly athletic, can't catch the ball. So he's going to be a non-factor. Name names. I'm not naming names. I'm not naming no names. I'm just saying that sometimes they'll do a fly route. They're like 20 yards ahead of the next person that's going to defend. And they can't even catch the ball. So I'm like, this is, this is purely comical. And, you know, you mentioned myself. You mentioned a whole bunch of other referees. What has your perception of officials been all of this time? And also just spectating sports professionally when you're watching, like, the NBA or the NFL. Let me give a shout out first to Nick and Donnell as well. I feel I would feel as if I'd be remiss if I didn't mention them. Donnell's in Carolina now. I would say, as a general rule, the refs I've run into in LIFFL have been really good. They're all usually personable. And if you treat them with respect, they'll treat you with respect. I never understood like yelling at officials. They can be wrong. And people they get calls that can cost you a game, but there's a way to handle it. You can debate someone without denigrating them and for the most part they've been knowledgeable if they get something wrong and you can point it out they usually listen some of them don't but that's more like a human thing i would say in general the refs have been good yeah i think so too i I even thought about a game that i had yesterday i had a call that was pretty close the guy was basically in the end zone had two feet but he didn't have full possession of it so I called the out of bounds. He comes right at me and he's like, are you serious? And I'm like, if I said it's third down and you're starting from here and we're not going for an extra point, d- does that appear if I'm serious? And he didn't know what to say because he didn't know I was going to react like that. You know, something to be said when somebody's so turned up and I'm getting more calm and I'm like, I'm, no, I'm not joking. I don't know what makes you think that I am joking. And it's like, what do people think in that moment? You know it's, what I mean? It's hard because you're in the play and this play has an outsized impact especially if it's an end zone potential touchdown that's like a six plus point swing and if like you feel the official robbed you because like I don't blame them for being mad in that moment I don't either yeah and that's why I don't get too upset yeah you know but at the same time I'm like that was illegal so that's why I called it it's not as if like (laughs) didn't catch like first kudos to catch the ball Exactly. It's great that you caught the... Unfortunately, it was out of bounds. And that's all. I I just wish we can come into an... And you were always good with that. You know, you always ask for an explanation. I'll give you the explanation. And that's I, that. We move forward. I appreciate that compliment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, after everything you said, what do you think of the attributes? What do you think it took to get to where you are at this moment in time as a flag football player? I would say a high aversion to losing. The understanding that every person has so much impact on how they perform like you're not a function of your team or the refs or how cold it is out there like you decide you have what is like 168 hours a week you can decide how you spend that time and it doesn't even take much time to prepare like if you just do general things like keep yourself in certain shape you train certain attributes like speed strength and i know i know how to like do those things without spending too much time if you decide you're going to, for whatever position you're playing, if you're a receiver, you're going to do a catching drills. You don't need someone to throw you the ball. You can throw yourself the ball, practice it with different hands. General being a decent teammate, I've had to work on, I would say, quelling certain rage when people let you down. Some of it is just like, 
alright, like, everyone's not going to do the same thing as everyone else, and you have to understand that how you treat your teammates can have an impact on how you move forward. Like, I have to resist the urge to yell at this person for making that mistake, because mm-hmm. sometimes I make mistakes, someone else might make mistakes. It's like how we handle it. You can keep people accountable without having them feel belittled. Balancing that is a problem on some teams. That's a that's a that's big a thing I always problem. see in play football. <laughs> Point fingers and yell in someone's face, and then there's like the whole uh, how you manage egos on the squad or taking yourself out. Sometimes, like I've had this discussion with some people, it's like how much playing time, like if, do we have too many people on the team? How do we manage that? It's like I'm willing to like take myself out in certain spots and stay in in certain spots just because I know like the opportunity cost of doing so at certain points is lower. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, like, with five-man, like, I will step out on offense, even though I knew, like, just being on the field, it's, like, it impacts positively how much, how likely we are to score. It's, like, we have a lot of people. I know, like, defensively, it's more important that I'm playing than offensively because we can mm. scheme people open on offense. Like, defense, like, you, it's hard to hide people. So, like, I, I just can't come off the field defensively, but offensively I can come off the field. Like, things mm. like managing that and just, like, empathy. And that's just big on the field, off the field, too. Like, you have to see, like, I, I can see the world through this person's lens, understand how they're thinking. Like, I can help them correct certain things or listen to them as they correct me. Like, I have to be open to listening. When I make a mistake, I don't go like, hey, I'll, I'll use Nick's name. Nick, you didn't throw the ball exactly at the spot. No, I never do that. Like, if it's in my vicinity, I have, like, a good catch radius. If I don't catch, it's like, I, that's my fault. I didn't catch it. I don't blame someone else. Some people do that, which is a problem. But accountability and empathy, two words to sum up, I would say. That is well said. I must say that I think one of the biggest things that I always see, especially, like, a younger team that – They all went out to the same bar the night before. Then you could see, like, their personal problems extirpating, (laughs) and it gets exacerbated by their performance on the flag football field. You know what I'm saying? Like, it it, it seems like it spills over, and it's like, you know, I always have this off-putting comment that they probably don't appreciate in real time. It's like, y'all not going to be friends after this, the way it's going. (laughs) You know, it's only week two, you're already yelling at each other like this. It's like... I thought y'all teammates, and it's it's interesting that you say that the empathy oh, thing. That's hilarious. I just recently heard this podcast. I'd say maybe like three months ago. It's called Fall Trust, and it it basically plays on the premise of saying when someone falls back, someone tries to catch them. Fall Trust. No, okay. more so, just like on a social level of going like, I'm not going to trust this person to work as hard as I am, or I'm not going to, like, I'm not going to take my attributes and expect that everyone can match that. And I feel like if you get to that level of going like, well, I don't expect him to have the same effort as me. It's like you take yourself out of it instead of going like, you should be doing it. You should be doing that because I were. And it's like, that's your ego talking. Not everyone's willing to do that. I don't know if it's ego talking as much as accountability, Mm -hmm. because if you're really passionate about something and you have other people that you're pursuing a specific goal and their contributions or lack thereof have an impact on how likely you are to succeed. Like, I can see why someone got, might get animated about that. Especially if it's like, I guess if we're using football as an example, if you have people that it's clear they don't do any kind of working out during the week and they show up and they don't perform, like, I, I don't blame someone for getting angry about that. It's just handling, like, how we express our disappointment. Yeah, I think it would be yeah. more so like, well, I mean, you don't 
like to me, if it would be after the game, like, well, you don't prepare, so it's like it, it's clear as to why you perform that way, and it's more like, okay, I mean, if you say it like that, that makes sense, you know what I'm saying? So, I, I think even yesterday, I know you know Eddie from Venom, right? He started getting really upset at quarterback, right? He started getting really upset at the other referee, and I was like, what if I told you today is his first day, and you are dictating how he's going to experience and perceive what flag football is like. You're over there yelling and telling him that he's stealing money. Well, he has no idea what to do. Have you ever taken that into account? He's like, and then he said to me, he's like, well, you've been making mistakes for years. Like, you know what? You're right. I can't talk to you. That's fair. I would, I, I would look at it from the other perspective, too, from Eddie's perspective in the sense that throwing this guy into the fire in his first game might be useful. He's like, all right, I see areas where I need to improve. I mean, you, don't have, to, you don't have to be mean about it, but you can, like, hold them accountable. I, if I knew it was the first day, I might be more lax. But it's like, as long as your mistakes don't reduce our legitimate chances of winning, I can tolerate it. It wasn't even mistakes. It was more like that accountability piece. Like, he didn't throw it correctly. And oh. I'm not going to get into all that, though. Yeah. You know, I'll let him have it. Okay. I'm terrible. That's fine. That's cool. <laughs> I think the only thing that I said to him yesterday was like, he's like, He's like, yo, we weren't even set defensively. I'm like, bro, you came 15 minutes late. He's like, that's fair. I was like, okay then. <laughs> so I don't care if you're set anymore. You're wasting my time. Like, I want to go home. <laughs> what do you think it's going to take to get to where you want to go? And ultimately, where do you want to go as a flag football player? Aside from the Hall of Fame, because I know that you're gunning for that. I didn't even think about that. I think that's more of like a, that's something else other people decide. I just like winning. Like now we're, what is this, week three? Week four, we're starting. So I want to win. I'm in two different divisions. So I want to win two titles there. We've got got to handle, I'd say, some egos, and we've got to decide some accountability. All I have on my own thing, I just worry about both how I prepare physically, and then when we have issues, like we've got an issue offensively, defensively. How do I address that and manage the balance between keeping people satisfied somewhat mm-hmm. with how much they play? and how we perform. But mostly I've got to just handle my own thing of how ready I am to perform. Like I try to handle it, uh, doing the workouts weekly and conditioning, et cetera. What do you think is the most stickiest situation that you've ever had as a flag football player? Stickiest? Yeah. It's definitely been one that's recurred and it's not even like individually. Actually, no, there's a couple of them. I would say one. For about a year and a half, when was it like 14, 2014, 2015, I had this recurring patella tendonitis. You might have not, because I remember you made some comments, you know, it was like, I couldn't, I couldn't physically run at full speed without being in extreme pain or jumping. Days after games, it feel like there was a knife in my knee. I actually, I got rid of that. I'll, I'll shout out this guy. His name is Anthony Michael, last name M-Y-C-H-A-L. Go look up his, I think an athlete's guy to chronic knee pain that really solved that issue so i'm gonna give him a shout out his work is good that was on an individual level i solved that i've been much better then there was a whole clot situation thing and on a macro level i would say the issue of how much people play and where they play that's recurred a couple of times where you've got concerns about how competitive we are and where we're putting people on the field and, and how we're going to handle that when we're not doing as well as we could be. Mm. And then it's like, we know how to fix this, but it's hard to like 
bench people or bench yourself or decide, you know, this person can't play this position, change it. Speaking about that, that's that's tough. Actually, my funny enough, my first game with Gang Green, I remember, I, I want to say it's 2011. I joined them mid-season. And the current quarterback, the first very first game I was playing was like, he missed me a few times. I was like, all right. And I just noticed, like, all right, we're not going to win if this person continues to play quarterback. And that's when we changed. I was like, all right, after the game, you got to change quarterbacks. You want to go anywhere. That's when Nick became the quarterback. I was like, all right, you got to play quarterback mm-hmm. for Gang Green. So that worked out. But I would say, in general, handling the conversation about meritocracy versus equality would be the wrong word to use. No, I get, I get what yeah. you're saying. Oh, because yeah. it's like, how do you evenly distribute playing time when you know that's not the best served purpose because people sometimes can't take themselves outside of it yes. and their participation in it yes. when it's like you know that this is not the most Exactly. It's, kill- thing. it's killing us. You need to make a change. Right. right. See, in basketball, it's different because basketball, you could have just one out-of-this-world player and it carry the it, whole team. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't really affect it that way. You can yeah. hide somebody on defense. You can double. But flag football, you can really exploit something and it's like, but it was his turn to play. So, unfortunately, we're going to have to give up 13 points because this person wants to play, and, and he's the only uh, option we have is to cut. So. We can watch the playoffs from home because he wanted it. Yeah, I, I, this game, you I, I feel for you, man. And conversely, what is your best moment thus far as a flight football player? I would say two things. One was winning the first title with the Bulls, 2015. Mm-hmm. 2015, and coming back from the pulmonary emboli situation, 2018, September, October, one of those, September, October, those are the two best. Tim, I can't believe it's been that long, and you're still playing, and it's awesome that, you know, I I really respect the longevity, because, like, as time goes on, you see how, like, people are gone, and then people move on, and they move move away from Long Island, or they just stop playing, because... You consistently try to improve yourself, try to put yourself in a position to win. So I always respect you as a player, and I definitely respect your mind. Appreciate your time. Any final words you want to say before we part ways? You're too small for your own good. Look I at know. you. Just I, know. I didn't think. I'll continue to come back on the podcast, and I appreciate you having me. Yeah, and we had to talk off air about, remember we were talking, I remember in February we were talking about you trying to get into the podcast game, and I got some other projects that I'd like to work on with you. And he appreciates that, third person. I would say definitely accountability and empathy go far everywhere, not just on the field but off the field. And if you find more about what's more, what's important in life, that's helpful too. Because I think a lot of times people can't step outside the actual moment of what's happening and think about the larger picture. Mm-hmm. People lose that. That's a truism everywhere. Mm. I would say that. Yeah, wise words. For Kenny Arike. Ralph the Ref, this is The Ramp. We are signing out. Peace.